two one. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other. Someone say other. Teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on, someone say, to others. It is the will of God, as Paul is speaking to his son in the gospel, Timothy, who he has invested much time, emotion, energy, and prayer. And he's imparting everything he knows into Timothy. And now he's telling Timothy, everything I've told you, everything I have taught you, I want you to reciprocate that. I want you to reproduce that into someone that you would be over, that you would teach, that you would guide. Someone say others. In verse 3, he goes on giving some instruction. He says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he says, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. I'm glad that I've been enlisted with God. I'm glad to be a part of God's army. I'm glad to be on God's team. He, the Bible declares in Hebrews that he is the captain of our salvation. And if you are ever going to please the captain of your salvation, you can't be caught up pleasing people that are part of his jurisdiction or his government or his kingdom. I don't want to fall in love with the praise of men that I lose the praise of God. You could write this down. It's not going to be in the notes here today, but John chapter 12 and verse 43 says this, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. I don't want to love the applause of other people more than the applause of my sovereign God. I want to get his favor in my life. In verse 5, it says, even athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. There is a prize I want to win. There is a heaven to gain, a hell to lose. But I cannot get to that place unless, as the scripture declares, we follow the rules and do not get tied up with the affairs of civilian life. And the Bible says in verse 6, hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. There's an elder man of God who built a powerful church in Alexandria, Louisiana. And this was a scripture he would continually drive home to the people in his church about himself and needed to be applied to their lives. That we are to be hardworking farmers. And if you are a hardworking farmer, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. Or simply, he would paraphrase it along these lines, saying that you'll see me work in this work first. You'll see me you know, uh, uh, you know, planting. You'll see me harvesting before I ever ask you to work hard, before I ever ask you to plant, before I ever ask you to harvest. He says, you're first going to see it displayed in my life. And that is why the people that church would see him begin to enjoy and reap the fruit of his labor because he was one hard working farmer. And so Paul sets this precedent to Timothy. And in verse seven, he says, think about what I am saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. 
If you're lost right now and you have no idea what I'm talking about or where I'm going to drive home, let's pray verse 7 before we get further into the word of the Lord, that God would help us to think about what I'm saying and that God would help us to understand all these things. Can we pray that together right now? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, God, that you would begin to set our minds in motion. I pray, God, that we would empty ourselves of ourselves, God, and that we would open up before you, Jesus, and become vulnerable and like a sponge, that we would get saturated with revelation of your word, and God, that you would propel us into the destiny and the purpose of what you have called us to do. And somebody say in Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to preach to you for the next four weeks about this disciple. Be one. Make one. Every year you've been accustomed and used to me presenting at the beginning of a year the theme for this church, the direction, the concept, the goal, the purpose, the vision of what I believe God laid on my heart. But recently back in uh, uh, around October, I can't I think it was August. No, September, August, and I, my, the date's slipping my mind now, but around that time frame, the Lord very clearly laid on my heart what this church is to be focusing upon. And it was not the focus of something that would be annual, but it would be perpetual. It is something that is going to become the DNA of who we are. And when you read and study the scripture, you'll find out that it always should have been the DNA of the church. And that is to disciple, to be one and to make one. And God is calling our church, not for just a season, but from here till eternity comes, that we ourselves need to be a disciple and we ourselves need to make a disciple. But before you could ever make a disciple, you got to be a disciple. And before you could ever be a disciple, you have to understand the concept of what a disciple is. A disciple in its very basic element and explanation is a pupil, a learner. It is the root word of where we get discipline. It does take some discipline to learn. It does take some discipline to be a pupil. You have to open yourself to these things. You know, the Bible says in the book of Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 15, for the grace that God has brought, he's brought to uh, all men to be saved. But the Bible goes on to say that grace is a teacher. And so if grace is a teacher, we best be students. And if we are not learning to what grace is teaching, then we are either a bad student or we have the wrong instructor because the Bible says the grace that brings salvation hath appeared to all men teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly righteously and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope to come Jesus Christ is coming back and I don't want to be found in the corner with a dunce hat with my nose pointed against the wall supporting a quarter against it I want to be found as someone that was like a sponge in the present of Jesus Christ, that everything that came from him went inside of my life and I retained it. And everything that I retained as he sent me forth, I dispersed it into someone else's life and found myself back into the classroom of the master teacher, Messiah, Jesus Christ, receiving everything he has to offer. How many would like to be a disciple here today?
We have just focused, and the reason why we did not start the vision of this disciple model of be one and make one on January 1st is I wanted to make sure that we were spiritually prepared. The Lord laid on my heart for this church to go and do that, uh, that season of consecration. We first, before, were in preparation. Then we entered into consecration of fasting and prayer for 40 days. Now it's time for visitation. Now it's time to see what God is ready in willing to do in our lives but you got to see that if you want to if you want to see what uh, jesus operate in your life you got to go through some things that jesus went through mark chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 it was the spirit that compelled jesus to go into the wilderness. The wilderness is a place where there you, you ain't going to find other people. You're not going to see a high density of population. If you want the deeper things of God, sometimes you got to go deeper into the wilderness. You have to separate yourself from others at times. And you got to separate yourself as a good soldier, not being tied up in the, the, the things that are going on in civilian life. I don't want to be merely a civilian or a by standard. I want to war a good warfare. I want to be enlisted in God's army. I'm not speaking some radical jihadism right now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual battle that we are currently in right now. I want God to enlist me. I want to be under his jurisdiction and his guidance. And so he's going to compel us by his spirit out into the wilderness. And it says in verse 13 that Jesus was tempted by Satan for 40 days and he was out amongst the wild animals. But you got to know this, that angels took care of him. When you step out in the wilderness in a season of consecration, God's going to take care of anyone and everyone who's willing to make that trek, who's willing to make that journey. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? Some of you all in this season do not think it possible that you can fast for a 24-hour period. Some of you are thinking, there ain't no way I can make it 24 minutes without having a little grab snack here and there. Some of us thought we could no way make it two days, three days. But I'm telling you, there's people in this room that went seven days, 10 days of fasting. They went, they went 14 days. They went 21 days. People in this room that went 40 days of fasting. God gives us the strength for the mission. And we go on reading here in verse 13 of the book of Mark that these angels took care of him. But as Jesus wrapped up and finished that season of consecration in verse 13 of Luke 4, the devil finished tempting Jesus. He left him until the next opportunity came. There's always going to be a next time with the devil. You're always going to be tempted again. That's why we don't let our guard down. We keep our guard up. Yeah, you might survive this season, but there's another season coming, but I'm ready for it. See, it's, it's kind of interesting. People that pray, I want God. I want revival. I want to see the great things of God. And then God begins to bring the season of struggle and the season of res uh, uh, resistance and the season of temptation. And then also we begin to ask God to get us out of that season. 
That, that, it's a, it happens time and time again. Oh, pray for me. I'm going through this. Pray for me. I, I need help. I need, I need direction. I need insight. I need this. And right now, you just need to stay put and say, God, I asked for this. This is what I asked for. This is what I prayed for. This is what I fasted for. So God, mold and make of me what needs to be. Let my flesh die. Let my will be surrendered. God, I yield myself. I become ashes before your presence. Now let the voice of your breath lead me whithersoever God I don't pray this season away I just pray you give me some more Holy Ghost I pray you give me some more strength I pray you give me some more endurance is that not what the early church did in the New Testament when the church was being beaten and persecuted and they got into a prayer meeting? They didn't say, oh, pastor, can you can you pray this goes away? Can you help me? I'm just struggling. I'm so miserable. No, they said, all I want is some more boldness. That devil thinks he's bold, but I'm going to get even more bold. That devil might be stubborn and uh, you know stiff neck, but I'm even more stubborn than him. I'm Holy Ghost stubborn. I will tarry in Watertown until Pentecost cost. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? So the Bible says in verse 14 that Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. I'm telling you, you may not feel like it right now, but do not base where you are by how you feel. You may not feel the power, but after going through 40 days of consecration and 40 days of fasting as unto the Lord, you have the power of the Spirit in your life. We are not beggars. We are children of God. We have been given authority and jurisdiction from heaven to accomplish powerful things from God. Do not base how you feel or make that the pressure of where you are, whatever you are going through, you must realize that you are returning now to the battlefield. We were out in the wilderness seeking God. We disciplined and consecrated ourselves. Now we're going back to Watertown. Now we're going back to the harvest. Now we're going back to the mission in the power of the spirit. Before we were there battling spirits, but now we're there in the power of The spirit, someone say amen. In verse 15, this is what Jesus did with the power. See, some people, they get the power of the spirit and they think, all right, man. All right, I want to I want to pray over someone and fix their ingrown toenails. See if God could retract someone's cuticles. We're all excited and pumped up about lightning bolts. But what Jesus went to go doing was teaching the boring stuff. We all like that. But he went to teaching. His launching pad was teaching, giving instruction, giving understanding. He went about in the power of the spirit as a disciple. He was first one, but now he's ready to make one. And he would teach regularly. Look what look what look what Jesus did after his fast. Forty days now walking in the power of the Holy Ghost. In Mark 1, 16, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon, his brother Andrew, throwing nets in the water, and they, they fish for a living. And so Jesus talks to some fishermen. He's not, he's not in a pulpit. You know, we all want to be ministers, and we want a pulpit. We want a microphone. We want the monitors turned up so, you know, we sound like we're anointed or something. And Jesus goes out in the public and goes out to where common folks are at because you can't, you can't make a disciple unless you're 
in the presence of people because you can't have a disciple without a person. And you got to find the people and the people to disciple. You got to go out amongst them. And Jesus said, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. I'll take what you're doing right now and I'm going to help you channel what you're doing into the kingdom of God. And let that be a lesson for every single one of us. You may not be a good singer. You may not be good oratorical skills. You may not be very funny. Uh, and, and, you know, you may not be very whatever. But, you know, whatever it is you do, God can take that and direct it into the kingdom of God. He took their ability and knowledge of fishermen and said, I can help direct your knowledge into the kingdom of God. And you can become fishers of Men, verse 18, and these folks, they left their nets at once. When Jesus calls you to discipleship, you got to stop with the analytical mindset and just kind of trying to figure everything out. Something's got to weigh on your spirit heavily saying, you know what? I'm just going to drop what I'm doing and follow what he's doing because I want to be under him. I want to be directed by him. I want to, I feel Jesus is calling somebody here today. You may not know why you're here today or maybe you think you know why you're here today but i'm telling you it is divinely orchestrated of god for everyone under the sound of my voice to be here today because jesus is saying come on drop what you're doing i want to lead you somewhere you've never been i want to show you things you've never seen you think you know church you think you know religion you think you understand you everything about christianity but i brought you here today saying follow me and i'll take you places you've never gone before Man, we serve a God who is like springs of living water, and there's no bottom to this well. There's no end to this reservoir. God is challenging us to reach deep. Someone say amen. Verse 19, a little farther up the shore, Jesus sees Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. And so he calls them at once. Jesus, look, wherever you are at, whether you're out fishing or whether you're repairing your materials, it doesn't matter where you're at, Jesus is calling you at once. Let's do this now. Stop with the tearing. Stop with the waiting around. Stop with the, I'll do it one day when I get my finances in order. I'll do it one day when I get gray hair. I'll get it, well, I'll do it one day when I got a bald spot. I'll do it one day when I got three wrinkles. No, at once, right now. He says, you can come follow me right now I can take you wherever you're at whether everything's in repair and you're out on the sea or whether you're trying to fix your net so you can go out there I can take you as you are but I promise you this he won't leave you as you are because when he calls you to follow he's called you to be a disciple he's called you to be a pupil he's called you to be a learner this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry In the power of the Spirit, when he can do anything he wants, in the power of the Spirit, he goes to teaching. He goes to discipling. I think we can learn something from that. I think we could I think we could glean something. Jesus, God in the flesh, man, I am such a punk. I'm such a I I I I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how I've even survived pastoring this long and how you all put up with me. I have no idea how you all done it. But I just know this that if Jesus did it that way, I think it would be important for us to take a note and a lesson and say, Maybe I should try what Jesus tried. Maybe I should find somebody and say, Hey, would you would you would you let me work with you? Can I can I talk to you about Jesus? Can I teach you about the Bible? Can we be friends? Can 
we get close? Can we, can we get to know what God has for your life? This concept did not fail Jesus. He started in the power of the Spirit doing this. And in the end of his ministry, when he was uh, crucified, buried, and rose again on the third day, now Jesus says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. Okay? He's got all power. All power. He started off his ministry walking in the power of the Spirit after that consecration, and he went to teaching. Now he has concluded his life here on earth in the flesh, and now all power is upon Jesus. And look how he closes out life with the apostles. These 11 disciples, there's always sometimes dropouts, and they find somewhere else to hang out. But these 11 disciples that were remaining in the school of hard knocks with Jesus Christ, they leave for Galilee. They go to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worship. But look, some of them doubted. And I think I'd be a, I, I'd be a little apprehensive. I mean, I just gave Jesus three and a half years of my life. I just left the family business. And Pops gave it to somebody else. And, and my leader, my master teacher, just died and all his followers scattered. And there's just 11 of us hanging out together here. I'd have maybe some reservation in me. But we read in verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples. He started out with them, calling them into discipleship. And he never stopped calling them disciples. I don't care how far you get along in your walk with God. You must still be a disciple. You must always remain a disciple. You should never say, well, I've, I'm a deacon now, so I don't need to be a, a disciple. I'm, a, I'm an apostle now, so I don't need to be a disciple. I'm a missionary now. I don't need to be a disciple. Today. No, no, no. Always a disciple. Once a disciple, always a disciple. Once a Marine, always a, a Marine. Once enlisted, stay in. I'm telling you, stay under discipleship and you'll never go wrong. You'll see the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus tells his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. So here's the one with all authority, all power. And here's his parting words with them. He says, all this power I have, all this authority I have. Here's what I'm going to do with my power and my authority. I am going to command you to go make disciples. All nations. Meaning, here's all this power and authority. Yes, we like to quote Acts 1 8. And ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost to come upon you. We like that. But the power and the authority is to make a disciple. Because ye shall be witnesses unto me. Into Judea, to Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And he says, Look, this power and authority that I have, that I'm giving to you can be done in all nations. So it doesn't just work in Louisiana. It doesn't just work in Texas. It doesn't just work in California. It doesn't just work in the Bible Belt. This works in all nations, even the Dakotas. This concept that Jesus says, look, I have all power. I have all authority. And I'm telling you, it will work in Jerusalem. It will work in Judea. It will work in Samaria. It will work in the uttermost parts of the earth. It will work in Indiana. It will work in Illinois. It will work in California. It will work in Nevada. And it will even work. God forbid, in South Dakota, the concept of making a disciple and spreading the truth all over the land can even work in this region, can even work in this territory because Jesus has all power and all authority. And he, with that power, with that authority, said, this is what you do. And what do we need to do? Verse 20, 
He says, teach these new disciples. If we don't have new disciples, we are not being disciples. How do you know? This is what Bert Stan Gleason says. He says, how do you know if you're a disciple or not? Can you name your disciple? That's how you know if you're a disciple. If you can't name your disciple, you're not a disciple. You're just on the fringe, just kind of enjoying, listening, seeing Jesus. But Jesus has called us to be disciples and to make new disciples. It's the will of God for you to be a disciple and then to make a disciple. I don't know how you're feeling right now, but I'm feeling the tug of the master's call saying, follow me, drop your nets, stop getting tangled up in the things of life. And why don't you just drop everything and follow me and become my disciple. Let me mold you and shape you. Let me lead you, guide you, direct you. Let me feed you. Let me teach you. With all the power and authority that I have, let me impart it to you. But I'm not imparting it to you just so you can enjoy it, but so you can go forth into every nation, to every neighbor, to every person. And so you now can make a new disciple. And here's the deal. You're not going back by yourself. See, before we tried some of these things, some of these uh, 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 programs or gimmicks, whatever you want to call them, and we try to do it in our ability. We try to do it in our charisma. But now we're doing it as disciples. We are going to be discipled. And as we are discipled and trained, now we have been given the power and the authority that Jesus Christ is with us as we go about. Because it's not just going to be our words. It's his words. He says, take no thought for what you got to say. God's going to fill your mouth. God's going to give you insight. God's going to give you direction. If you believe that, would you clap your hands and rejoice? Someone say disciple. Turn to your neighbor who's falling asleep and tell him be one. Turn to the other one who's falling asleep. Tell him make one. Man, I, I wish someone would get a little loud. Someone say disciple. Someone say be one. Come on, someone say make one. Man, I enjoy church. I enjoy a good challenge. Man, my favorite part when I was in high school sports is I liked the coaches that were the meanest, the ones that would just kind of dig into me and pull that that agitation that they were kind of churning in me, and they would channel it into excellence. I want to challenge you, church, because I see potential in this region to build up a mighty work for God, not for our kingdom, not for our name, but for his name's sake. God has given us the recipe. God has given us the ingredients. God has given us the formula to in faith mixed with that promise to see a mighty revival in the land. I'm looking for a mighty revival because I serve a mighty God, not a God of mediocrity. Oh, hallelujah. I'm, I'm wrapping up right now. Last portion of scripture and I'm done. Last portion of scripture. I'm, I'm done. So now you go all catch your breath and not hate me too much. Genesis 2, 4. This is the account of creation of the heavens and the earth. Now, remember, who has all power given, all authority given to heaven and earth? Jesus Christ. And he says, this, this, this is kind of the formula that God Almighty, the creator of heaven's earth, used when he made the heavens and he made the earth. Look, if he can make something out of nothing, I think he can make something out of this motley crew. <laughs> he could do something with us. He absolutely can. Absolutely. And some of you guys look like you're having a miserable time. Smile. God's about to do something awesome in your life. 
if you would just let the joy of the Lord be your strength. God is going to do something so miraculous, and I feel it in the Holy Ghost. God is giving us the formula of what he wants to do through us. And the Bible says, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on earth. Now, man, you all were blessed with a buffet beyond measure last week. Brother Jared preached up a storm. If you, if you weren't here last week and you've never listened to good preaching in your life, you need to go to gschurchsd.org and you need to listen to last week's sermon. It's powerful. And talking about God's going to do away with this miscarriage revival that we've been having. God's about to help us have a revival and retention. And look, there wasn't wild plants. There wasn't grains growing on the earth. Kind of our frustration. All the seeds are already laid there. You know, the life is in the seed, and we planted them, and we're not seeing the wild plants. We're not seeing the grains growing on earth. You know why it wasn't growing? Because God didn't send water on the earth. God didn't cause it to rain on the earth. Now, why would God set the law and the nature of the harvest in motion, put the, 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 the DNA in the ground, the seeds in the ground, and he's not going to let it rain, and he's not going to let the, 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 the plants begin to blossom, sprout, and grow. Why is that? Look at verse 7, or, or verse 5. He says, there were no people to cultivate the soil. See, God doesn't send a revival Unless there's people in the field for the revival. Why would God send rain and let the gardens grow if there's no one to work in the garden? God didn't just save you just so you can kind of sit tight and have a good time at church. God saved you to be a disciple. God saved you to be one so you can make one. God formed man in his very own image. So now you can go out into the field. And when you start working the field, God will send the rain. God will give you a disciple to work with. God will give you someone to begin to build upon. Verse 7, it says, the Lord God formed the man. If, if there's ever going to be a revival, there's got to be a person being formed by the hand of God. Oh, God, God, I, I hope you formed some of us this past 40 days. We've prepared, and Lord, we place ourselves on the wheel of the potter. And for 40 days, God, you begin to form this bunch of people. God, you begin to mold us. You begin to shape us. You begin to put us, Lord, through the fire. And Lord, I believe you formed the man that you are sending out to the ground where the harvest is. Does anyone feel like this past season of consecration, God was doing a work on you? God was forming some. If there's going to be a revival, it'll be because there's somebody being formed by the hand of God. And God's going to breathe the breath of life into you. And you are going to be, you are a walking dead person. You were just this corpse. You were just this, this shell of a person. But the Holy Ghost has blown through this place the past two months. The Holy Ghost has been moving in this place. And all of a sudden, now we are a living creature. We're a living church. We're a living organism. And we are now ready to go into the field and say, God, go ahead and send that rain. I'm in the field. And the Bible says in verse eight, God planted a garden. You know why? Because there he placed a man that he made. God's ready to give us a garden. Because there's a man that's been formed. And now you're placed in that garden. 
and God's going to water it, and God's going to help it to be fruitful and to multiply. Someone say disciple. What are we going to do? We're going to be one, and we're going to make one. This is what God is calling us to do, and I'm going to give more depth and insight and detail and direction of how that is going to be done over the course of the next three weeks with Jared as well. But what could happen if each one would reach one? If we caught the teaching of Jesus calling us to disciple, if we caught the vision to be one, to make one, what, what could happen? Just say if we started from scratch. Say, say there was only one person in this church. Say there's only one person. Say if only one person catches this vision, I'm, I'm excited. If all y'all want to stare at me and just like you little pocket-sized bobblehead, that, that's fine. I still like y'all. But as long as one person catches this concept, let me show you what can happen with one person that says, you know what, I, 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 I've, I've done all this outreach tactic. I've done all this church growth experiment. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try the Jesus model. I'm going to become a disciple, and I'm going to focus on making a disciple and see that cycle continue. I just, I just, I'm not very good at math. This all has to do with a calculator, so don't, don't think I'm smart. This is how basic. If one person would catch this concept, this year, 2008, one person, and all you do is work with one person to make a disciple, and we have two people. Sounds like big revival and growth, right? Now that you made your disciple, that person's going to take, they've been a disciple. Now they're going to go make a disciple, and you need a new disciple because that's what Jesus said to go do, make new disciples. And so those two people now go out, and they each make a disciple, just one person for the year, four. So in two years, we would have a church of four disciples. After three years of the uh, year 2020, we could have eight disciples in this church. After four years, we'd have 16 disciples in this church. After five years, we'd have 32 disciples in this church. After six years, we'd have 64 disciples in this church. After seven years, we would have 128 disciples in this church. That's just simply if one person is just working on one disciple. I want to make one disciple for God. After eight years, at the year 2025, we'd have... 256 disciples. After nine years, we'd have 512 disciples. After 10 years, we would have 1,024 disciples. After 11 years, we'd have a tithe of this city. 10% of this city would be discipled, over 2,048 people. In 12 years, there'd be 4,096. 13 years, 8,192. 14 years, we would have 16,384. In 15 years, we'd have over 32,768 disciples. Now, that, I know that you're like, that's just a, a dumb math equation. Okay, yeah, fine. But it's true. It's absolutely true. L- literally, in, in less than 15 years, every soul in Watertown could be discipled. In less than 15 years. That's if we took a simple concept that Jesus presented seriously. If I say, hey guys, let's go, let's go, let's go win 256 people to the Lord this year and let's just fill this place up. We'd be pumped up. Ah! And we'd maybe be overwhelmed too. 256. Pick up sticks. That's that's a lot of work. There ain't no way we could do that. That'd be our mindset. But if if Jesus told you, FYI, he did, go build one disciple. Be a disciple and just build one disciple. Not 
high pressure for you to have a mass production overnight. Just work with one person. Pour into that person. This is what could happen in 15 years. That seems crazy. Let's stand together. I'm done. I know this is not a very exciting sermon. We're all depressed, bored, miserable. Fine. But the Holy Ghost is here. The word of the Lord has been presented. And like Paul told Timothy, look, if you just ask God to help you understand what I'm telling you, this is going to work out. It's absolutely going to work out. Because I don't think there's a single person in this room that would feel overwhelmed by the concept of, hey, I can, I can rise to that challenge. I personally am going to be a disciple. I'm going to, I'm going to let pastor disciple me. I'm going to let, I'm going to let uh, Brother Jared disciple me. I, I'm going to be under somebody, and I'm going to let them develop me and train me. But as they're developing me and training me, as I am being a disciple, I want to make a disciple. One person. That, that's all God's calling you to do is to build a single disciple. In less than 15 years, the entire city of Watertown could be discipled. Who wants to slow down and grow with me? I want to do it. I want to hurry up and slow down and focus on one. And I want to reproduce that that mentality in this church. Now, I believe with all my heart, when we do this, God's going to miraculously do some other things that are beyond whatever. But the main thing is if we follow Genesis chapter 2, if we just simply go in the field and start cultivating this particular area, God's going to send the rain, and there's going to be things that sprout. There's going to be some miraculous things that happen. You know, it, you could be desiring a ministry without ever having discipled a person. That's an unsafe launching pad. To, to desire ministry in a pulpit without ever having to disciple a person, that's an unsafe way to start your walk with God. So I ask you, who's your disciple? And if you don't have one, God is calling you today to make one. God is calling you to make a disciple. I want, I know some of you have this book, but I just want to throw this out there. I, w- I, I challenge you, if you do not have this book, this is, this is a lot of things I'm going to be modeling after coming up the next few weeks and months. If you don't have this book, I want, I want you to, to get you a copy. And if you don't have, you know, $13, to ask me and I'll, I'll give you $13 personally, $14, whatever it is. Pentecostal Publishing House, $13.99, you get a printed copy. If you like reading digital copy or saving a little extra money, $9.99, you can get the Amazon version. But Follow the Lead by Stan Gleason was a wake-up call for me, listening to him preach at General Conference about discipleship. Church, I want, I want a disciple. I want to be one. I know this is not a high worked up way to, to, to launch a new theme or a perpetual purpose of what our church is going to be, but I absolutely believe what I just told you. I am absolutely persuaded that God's about to complete. You want to know why we've seen some pretty cool growth here lately? It's because we started designing some discipleship models. We didn't use these terms, but that's exactly what we did. When we started putting some things in order, God says, ah, There's somebody I can trust with growth because they have some things set in place and they're planned, they're prepared, and they're consecrated. I can visit that that ministry. I can visit that kind of work. And when God sees you preparing 
and consecrating, God can visit your ministry and trust you to make a disciple because you're actually being a disciple. If you're here today and you're going to catch this vision or you feel God tugging you with this vision, I, I would invite you to come to this altar. If you don't feel it, then you don't have to come forward. But if you would, if you would like to commit 2018 to be a year where you're going to be one and you're going to make one, and that is being a disciple and making a disciple, I invite you to come forward at this time. I just not, I'm not going to force anyone. I'm not going to pressure anyone. But if you want to be a disciple and you want God to help you to make a disciple, we're going to pray together right now. And I believe the Holy Ghost is here. And I believe God's going to help us. You know, there's a number of people that I've talked to that said, you know, I, I want to be better. I want to be a better soul winner. I want to be a better uh, reach to my family. I want to reach my neighbors. I want to reach my friends. I'm just not very good. I, I commit to you that I'm going to do my dead level best as a pastor to disciple you, to help you to be a better disciple. I'm not, I'm, I'm not here declaring that I have arrived because I have not yet arrived. In the moment you arrived, well, hopefully Jesus either came back or you died. That's the only way you arrive. If you think you arrived prior to those two moments, then you are uh, deeply mistaken. But right now, I believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that there's some people here that are saying, I want to have the spirit of a disciple. You are not going to have the spirit of the disciple if, if, if the one teaching you gives you direction, instruction, correction, and you resist it and you pull away from it. You, you can't be a disciple that way. That's not a learner. That's not a pupil. But I want, I want to be a pupil. I want to be a learner. And I, I, like I said, there's a number of folks in here that can help disciple you and train you and raise you up. And before long, you're going to be the one where the table is turned and you're teaching the Bible study. And you're the one laying hands upon someone, praying for them to get that sickness out of them. And you're the person that's counseling somebody. And you're the, God, as, as crazy as that sounds to some of us, God's absolutely going to do it this year for you. I, I believe it. there's a shift in this church. There's a change there's a transition taking place where we are going from glory to glory. We're going from, from a, a, a young state, and we're going to a mature state. We're going from milk to meat. God is about to raise up some powerful disciple makers in this church. If you believe that that's going to be you, would you lift up your hands, and would you begin to invite God and say, God, I want you, Lord, to make me a disciple. Lord, I will put myself under that ministry, Lord. And God, I will be discipled. Lord, I will, Lord, make myself a student. I make myself a pupil. I make myself a learner, God. It's not easy. It's not natural, Lord. Inspiration is easy. Application is hard. Any of us can be inspired by a sermon. Any of us can be inspired by a ministry. But God, it takes diligence and discipline to make the application where we actually become a disciple. And someone personally speaks into our lives and begins to chip away at some areas, God. We're iron sharpens iron, God. I I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God, that you would make some disciples in this house. I believe, Lord, that we are going to reach this city through discipleship. I believe.